0: Let's bow together. Father, thank you so much for this day again, and thank you for the time you've given us to come together to worship you corporately. And I do pray as we come to your word that you would use it uh, to uh, change us. You would remind us of the great, um, wonderful love that you have poured forth uh, through what you did through your son Jesus, that we would be able to Grasp the height and depth and width, the love of Christ, Lord God, that you would give us insight into uh, truly what he has done for us. And I pray for anyone who's not saved today, I pray today would be the day of salvation, that you would use your word to prompt and convict hearts so that they might turn to Jesus and be saved. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are certainly uh, coming close. We are a week away from Easter, and uh, as uh, we come close to this time, I felt it would be good for us to be reminded of what preceded the resurrection, which is the death of Christ for us, for our sins. And so would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 50, and hopefully it'll be... A tremendous blessing to you it 's certainly a blessing to me to study it and it 's a blessing to even think about sharing it now it's it 's so wonderful to be reminded and I, we can just become complacent and forgetful throughout the day and throughout the week about uh, what the Lord has done for us so turn uh, to matthew twenty seven verses twenty seven to fifty And at this uh, point, we come to the sobering climax of the book of Matthew, where uh, everything Matthew's been pointing to is coming to fruition right here. We see certainly uh, in the book of Matthew that uh, even before uh, God the Son took on human flesh, we have the statement of why he would do so. Matthew 121, "...and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For it is he who will save his people from their sins. It's about being saved from sin. And this same Jesus, who is the rightful king of the Jews in the line of David, is God the Son who took on human flesh. And you see, he didn't just take on human flesh to be like some people would say as an example for us, although he is a perfect example. Uh, He took on human flesh, as we see, because he came to serve and give his life as a ransom. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And he came that he might die and bring the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26, verse 28. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. You know, this world is so full of unforgiveness. Uh, It is so full of those uh, who we all were at one time in Satan's domain. Uh, But God, through his son Jesus, has brought about this tremendous reality, forgiveness of sins. Now in Matthew, uh, we see that King Jesus came to his own. They were sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death. And through his teaching, he confronted their wrong thinking. He revealed himself to be the King of kings and Lord of lords the Christ, he exposed their sin, revealed himself, and he called upon them to repent and believe in him for salvation. But the Jews rejected him, and the Jewish leaders rejected him and delivered him up for crucifixion. Now, having been tried by the Jewish religious leaders and being found guilty to claiming to be God, which, by the way, he is, uh, through their jealousy, they delivered him over to Pilate, Uh, the Roman governor, who tried his best to politically wash his hands of Jesus, and then finding no guilt in him, he gave him over to Herod, who found no guilt. And then Pilate, being fully responsible, uh, delivered the decision for Jesus' fate to the people, having been manipulated by the Jewish leaders. Uh, They chose Barabbas, a murderer, over releasing Christ, and they called upon Jesus to be crucified, We see in scripture that he was delivered up by the hands of godless men, but it was by God's predetermined plan that this would happen, that although evil would seemingly have its way, God would use the greatest evil to bring about the greatest good. So here we see Pilate, a self-serving political coward, gives him to the demands of the the people and vainly tries to wash his hands of this responsibility or this culpability, Uh, but that's He is very much culpable in that context. And so here, at this point, we come to the crucifixion of Jesus for us, where we see that the King of kings and Lord of lords, King Jesus, bears our sin in his body on the cross. Now, we're going to start in verse 27, but I want to back up a little bit for context and read up to our passage here. Let's start in verse 22. Verse 22, and this is in chapter 27 of Matthew. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. And now this is our passage. Then the Roman, the soldiers of the Roman governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered up the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and after weaving a crown of thorns they put it on his head and a reed and a reed in his right hand and they kneeled before him and mocked him saying hail king of the jews and they spat on him and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head and after they had mocked him they took his robe off and put his garments on him and after they had mocked him they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led Him away to crucify him, and as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they had come to the place, come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him. They delivered up his garments among themselves, casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And they put up above his head the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, You are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers also, who had been crucified with him, were casting the same insult at him. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama salvaxani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest of them said, let us see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So here uh, we're going to see that most of our passage, as we've just read, is a narrative, which we need to be careful not to overly focus on. It is a true story in which we need to look at it in its whole and gain an understanding of what the Lord wants us to see which is the most important part, which is the crucifixion death of Christ. And so it's a true story being told, and we don't want to break it down so much that we don't see it in its whole. also. We need to see the whole thing. And this is one of the most sobering yet wonderful portions of Scripture. It's a passage in which Jesus appears to be the victim, yet in reality he is the victorious king who dies for our sins, giving up his life for us. It's the passage that Matthew has been leading up to, and it's my prayer that we would gain a greater understanding of the cross and respond with greater honor and worship for Christ who gave himself for us. It's also my prayer, as I mentioned before, that those who don't know Christ would truly see their sin. They would understand that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for their sins and trust in him alone for salvation. So let's take a look at this wonderful yet sobering passage. Notice, first of all, we see before being led to Golgotha, Jesus is mocked uh, by the Gentile soldiers, Jesus the king. He's taken to the Praetorian, that's the Roman headquarters, and he's mocked and beaten in front of the whole cohort. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the Praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him, and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him, and after weaving a crown of thorns... They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they kneeled down before him and mocked him, saying, "Hail, King of the Jews," And they spat on him and took a reed, took the reed and began to beat him on the head. So here we have the Roman soldiers under Pilate's command. he's the governor, um, took, and Jesus taken him to the praetorian, that's the Roman headquarters. And we see the soldiers of the governor took him into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. Now, a Roman cohort was about 500 to 600 men, and Matthew said the whole cohort was gathered around him. This is a bunch of Roman soldiers. And what did they do? They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. This was probably an old Roman soldier's coat, which would be reddish uh, and even purplish, like we see in Mark's account, one that was well used. And they, what did they do? They weaved. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. Now, don't forget, folks, that Jesus had already been beaten by the Jewish leaders. He had already been mocked by Herod's soldiers. Pilate had him scourged. That was a brutal uh, beating with a whip with bone in the end. Uh, many people didn't even make it through that. Um, and now we have the whole Roman cohort mocking him And they're mocking him in accordance with the official charge against him, which we're going to see in a moment, that he is the king of the Jews. So having put a crown of thorns in his head and a reed in his right hand, would just be a stalk of a tall plant. Notice they kneeled, middle of verse 29, down before him and mocked him saying, Hail, king of the Jews. And they spat on him and they took the reed and began to beat him over the head. Here we have the Son of God, God the Son, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who took on human flesh, one in whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess as Lord. And we have these Gentile Roman soldiers kneeling down before him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him. And this was a terrible insult, terrible shame. We know from the book of Hebrews, he despised the shame, right? But he endured the cross, despising the shame. So why would the King of Kings and Lord of Lords allow his fallen creation to do this to him? You might remember what he told his disciples previously when they were on the way to Jerusalem. Matthew 20, verse 18. You can take a look at that. Matthew twenty eighteen. He says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered to the chief priests, scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he'll be raised up. He told him it was going to happen. And here we see it was happening. This was in accordance with God's predetermined Plan. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah, it's right in the middle of your Bibles, Isaiah 50. We're going to look at verse 5. And we know during this entire time he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. We see the incredible faith of the Son of God in his obedience. Uh, the humility of God the Son, who trusted the Father, who knew that even though he was being humiliated, he would not be humiliated, ultimately he would be vindicated, and so we have a tremendous God who did not revile in return, first Peter two, who uttered no threats, but I mention this, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously, ultimately that he would bear our sins in the, his body on the cross. And so now, back in our passage, look in verse 31. After this, they lead him away to crucifixion. Verse 31, chapter 27. And after they mocked him, they took off his robe. They took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. Pretty straightforward. They led him away to crucify him. Now, crucifixion was a brutal form of execution that the Romans used And it was uh, not only the public execution, but the procession that led up, which was used as a deterrent for people who might be tempted to commit the same crimes as those accused. And so with that in mind, historically speaking, they would take the longest route possible uh, through the city. So everyone would see this criminal on his way to his death, supposedly. Now, we know the Lord was innocent, sinless, spotless, Lamb of God, but he was being charged as a criminal, you see? But he was not. And so he would. they would take this long procession, and within that, they would use it to maximize the visual deterrent for people to commit similar crimes, supposedly. And historically, when someone was... Uh, taken to be crucified, there were four Roman soldiers and they walked through the streets of Jerusalem with a plaque of charges around the neck of the the, the, the one accused and he, he would bear the cross, that beam of the cross which weighed over a hundred pounds. So notice as they have gone through this shameful procession and now they're coming out of the city going to Golgotha, verse 32. And as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, who they pressed into service to bear his cross. So this wasn't as they were coming out of the Praetorium, but as they were coming out of the city. As they were coming out of the city. We see here, uh, they would press into service Simon of Cyrene. Now, uh, you see the place where... Uh, Jesus was crucified, was outside of the city. Very clearly from Numbers 15.35, the law required executions to take place outside the camp, outside the city. It was a place of visible shame. It's what the writer of Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews chapter 13. He said, Therefore Jesus, also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Um, Hence, let us go outside... go go out to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. The implications there was he was reproached, he was shamed, he was outside the gate. Implication is, hey, let us take that shame, shame, and trust in him. Right? Trust in him. And so then, we see this happened here. And so with that in mind, notice what happens Next. We see here uh, that he is outside the camp about to suffer a shameful death. This procession, uh, Jesus carrying the cross, and then now Simon of Cyrene takes up the cross uh, here. And on a side note, it's interesting because obviously Simon's going to hear stuff. He's going to be right there. He's right there taking the cross in this procession. And we see in Mark chapter 15 that Simon... Uh, was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Mark chapter 15, 21, And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And it has led many to speculate, and I think rightly so, uh, that these sons were well known in the early church, that Rufus was quite possibly the Rufus of Romans 16 which causes others to speculate and even us to possibly see here that from this experience, Simon was introduced to truly who the Lord Jesus was. And we're going to see that. Notice what happens when Simon is carrying the cross. Notice uh, the Lord Jesus is not a victim who is, who is falling apart. He is totally in control and he is actually even pronouncing judgment while he is on his way the cross. Look at Luke chapter 23, and Simon is seeing all of this. He is seeing all of this. Luke chapter 23, verse 26. And when they led him away, they laid hold of one Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country, and they placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And there were following him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting. And, but Jesus, turning to them, said, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me. Now, Simon's going to hear all this because here's Jesus, here's Simon, here's the ladies he's talking to. Okay, So he's in between this conversation. And he says here, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me before yourselves and your children, for oh, days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what will happen in the dry? So these ladies are most likely professional mourners, historically speaking, who would have a ministry to follow these guys and whatever it might be, uh, to make a buck. To make a buck, And Jesus reproves them, pointing out that they are in deep spiritual trouble like the rest of Jerusalem, because judgment is coming Upon them, quite possibly the judgment spoken of in 70 AD, uh, which we see. So Simon witnessed all of this, and most likely heard it very clearly. You see, Jesus is God, and he is in total control, even on the way to the cross. He's still admonishing, as he's on his way to his crucifixion, admonishing those in sin to reckon with the reality of God's judgment. And Simon is hearing this. Sounds So we have King Jesus being mocked by the soldiers, shamefully led out as a criminal, with the charge of the king of the Jews around his neck, being led outside the gate to his crucifixion. Now at this point, uh, Matthew shares the, the events of the crucifixion in bullet point form, just one after another. And we're going to see that it fulfills all the prophecies concerning the Christ. Verse 33, And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mingled with gall and after tasting it he was unwilling to drink. Here we see Jesus arrives at Golgotha. This is an Aramaic word which in our our text says place of the skull. This is the place where Jesus was crucified where the Romans most likely did their crucifixions. It was a hill that most likely looked like a skull. Um, it's interesting, the Latin word that we get uh, uh, calvaria from is from the Greek word cranium. That's where we get our word calvary, at skull. That's really the place where he was crucified, right? That's what we see here. And so then, what happens here? He uh, says, when they got there, verse 34, they gave him wine to drink, mingled with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. Now, the implication is, this is the Roman soldiers doing this here. Now, gall was a light narcotic, evidently, uh, more specifically, we see in Mark it would be myrrh mixed with wine, Mark chapter 15:23, and it was given to prisoners to dull their senses and ease their pain during crucifixion. Now, you might think, oh, the Romans are such nice guys, wanted to do this. Well, not really. Uh, they had an ulterior motive to do that so that their victims would not struggle as much as they're driving the, 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 the nails through their To their feet and and hands, right? Um, And so then it would make their job easier. So what does Jesus do? After tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. You see, we have God in human flesh, unwilling to relieve his own pain. Instead of drinking the gall, he would drink the full cup of the Father's judgment for us. After tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. In Psalm 69, verse 20, I'll read this for you. Reproach has broken my heart. I am so sick. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And comforters, but there was none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. We see that was Messianic, pointing to what happened here on the cross. And notice, he fulfills more prophecy as his garments are gambled for. Verse 35, And when they crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. Now the statement, when they crucified him, does not mean he had died yet. What this means is they had put him on the cross, driving the nails through his feet and through his hands, and he is on the cross. He is being crucified. Now, Scripture does not give us a lot of details about crucifixion, unlike many movies and books and things. And that's my belief that the Lord doesn't want us to focus on those things specifically. He wants us to focus on what the Lord did, dying for our sins. It is not his crucifixion. His crucifixion led to his death. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. He bore our sins in his body on the cross and died for our sins. But... What we do know from Scripture is it was a brutal way to die. It was a brutal way to die. We see this in Psalm 22. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was pierced through for our transgressions, transgressions, a brutally painful and shameful way to die, Uh, so brutal and shameful that the Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified, by the way. And so here we see um, this crucifixion, but yet it was the preferred method through the empire. Uh, Up to this point, somewhat of 30,000 Jews had been crucified by this point. Now, so we're going to see it's not simply the crucifixion that saves us, because many other people were crucified. It is that the sinless, spotless Lamb of God bore our sins in his body on the cross and died for our sins and rose from the dead, and death could not hold him because of who he was and what he did. We see here, but it was a shameful thing. Uh, So he's nailed to a cross, he's hanging on a cross of wood, the shameful, accursed place for a Jew, by the way. Back in Deuteronomy, God made it clear that those who committed sin worthy of death, which Jesus was not worthy of death, but those who did uh, should be hung on a tree. And it was an evidence of their accursed state. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, And he is put to death, verse 22, and you hang him on a tree. His corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you may not defile the land with which your God gives you as an inheritance. And then the Apostle Paul would share, uh, pointing to this reality in Galatians 3.10, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by the things written in the book of the law to perform them, and he says in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He went on the cross for us. He bore our sin and shame. He bore that. He bore that. And so in fulfillment of prophecy, we see at verse 35 back in our passage. And when they crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. We saw this earlier in Psalm 22. Uh, they divided his garments and casted lots for them. We know this is happening according to God's predetermined plan. Predetermined plan. Look at John 19. We see uh, this same reality. John 19, verse 23. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part for every soldier and also a tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They said, therefore, to one another, let us not tear it, uh, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and my clothing they cast for lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Again, we see... Prophecy fulfilled in what happened to the Lord Jesus. Now, while being guarded, notice uh, uh, there was a charge over his head. Now, first of all, verse 36, And sitting down, that's the soldiers, they began to keep watch over him. Now, here you have the soldiers, they're doing their job. Uh, They're watching over him so that no one would come and free him. They're guarding him, okay? Okay. And notice, and they put up over his head the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, most likely it was put, the same charge was the portion that was around his neck that was now placed on top of, uh, above his head. And we know from John's gospel that this uh, was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. John nineteen twenty. We also know that the chief priests from the book of John and, and the Jews had a problem with this. But Pilate, let it be as it is. Folks, God is sovereign. And although this was most likely done by Pilate in a mocking fashion, the truth is Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. And so fulfilling prophecy, notice, he was also crucified next to two robbers. Uh, verse 38, and at that time two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. This is in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy 700 years earlier. And I'll read this for you, Isaiah 53:12. therefore I will allot with him the portion of the great and will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So Matthew, in bullet point fashion, is affirming the account of his crucifixion, that everything happened according to God's predetermined plan. This was not something that just willy-nilly happened. God had predetermined that this would happen. And so then, notice we see in Matthew's account, he fulfills prophecy as he is mocked by the people and the leadership and the robbers being crucified. Verse 39, and those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Here we have the Jewish people walking and passing by, and what are they doing? They're hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. A visible show of contempt. And notice their verbal abuse. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. How evil and satanic were their abusive statements. Just along the lines of how Satan tempted Jesus. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Come down from there. Just come down, right? They even says, look at verse 40. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, Remember Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness Hey, uh, just, you know, you you can have bread, right? You could could be, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You don't have to go through that. So we have these evil, evil mocking. And so then the son, they're taking God's son's very words and twisting them and hurling abuse at him. And notice that not only were the common folk abusing and uh, mocking, uh, verse 41, in the same way the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying... He saved others and he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down up from the cross and we shall believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver uh, him now if he takes pleasure in him for he said, I am the son of God. So we have these evil religious leaders who are even more abusive and more arrogant. They are in his presence, but they're not even mocking him directly. They're mocking to the people. These arrogant, evil Leaders. How evil. And we see they even twist Psalm 22, verse 8, and use it against him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver himself if he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. They take the word of God and twist it. And twist it. The reality is, Jesus could have come down from the cross if he wanted to, but he did not. Here we have the true Savior who came to serve and give his life a ransom. He didn't come to be served. And according to God's plan, uh, he's the true Savior who was unwilling to save himself. He considered us more important than himself. He gave himself for us. We have the king of Israel, the king of kings, unwilling to come down from the cross that he that he might continue and then die for our sins. We have God in human flesh who trusts the Father, allowing the Father's wrath to be poured out upon him. And notice the abuse doesn't stop. Verse 44 And the robbers also who had been crucified with him were casting the same insults. Same insults. Now remember, most likely his crucifixion began sometime around 9 a.m. For three hours there was light, and as we'll see in a moment, there would be darkness from noon till 3. And evidently, both these robbers were hurling insults, but evidently, one of them must have repented because he recognizes later on, wait a second, this is, this is someone different. This is, this is, he, he acknowledges him as who he truly is and actually calls upon him to remember him. Let's take a look at this really quickly. Luke chapter 23, a wonderful true story. Luke 23, verse 39 and one of the criminals who was hanging there was hurling abuse at him saying are you not the Christ save yourself and us but the other answered rebuking him saying do you not even fear god since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed justly and we indeed justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong and he was saying jesus remember me when you come in your kingdom he believes he knows he's going to die, and he's, he's, he believes he's going to come in his kingdom. That's faith, by the way. Um, and he says here, uh, he said, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And it was about, now about the sixth hour. So it was about noon, three hours at this point. Uh, criminal had initially been mocking and had truly come to faith, it appears. Truly come to faith. And so at this point, uh, I believe we understand what Matthew's trying to get across, that Jesus fulfills the word of God, revealing he is the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, And we see this here. It's exactly what uh, we see in uh, the Old Testament. And take a look at this again. Let's look at Psalm 22. Again, he fulfills these truths, and we'll see that. Psalm 22, verse 6. And if you don't think Jesus understands your trouble, you are sorely mistaken. If you don't think he can sympathetic sympathize with us, you are sorely mistaken. When you see what he has gone through, yet innocent, and doing it for us, and you see in his humanity, uh, him going through these things as a human being, yet fully God, uh, he understands. He understands. Psalm 22, verse 6, But I am a worm, and not a man. A reproach of men, despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to God. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you, because he delights in him. Look down at verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan, Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me, And as a ravening and roaring lion, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot My tongue cleaves to my jaws, and thou dost lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. You know, if you want to know about Jesus, read the Bible. Don't watch TV. Read the Bible. This is what God wants us to know about Jesus. This is the truth. Mankind, apart from Christ, hates Christ and does not want him to be king or lord. But he is. So Matthew, in bullet point fashion, has revealed the wickedness of man overflowing upon the son of god the king of the jews who according to the father's predetermined plan is allowing himself to be crucified by his own wicked creation all in fulfillment of his word and all of this uh, according to the father's plan and notice what happens verse 45 chapter 27 now from the sixth hour that be noon darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour and at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran up and, taking a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see if, whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Here we have uh, a sobering, thus sobering, and chilling account of God the Son bearing our sins in his body on the cross. Notice that darkness was upon the land till 3 p.m. Now darkness was from the sixth hour, that's noon, but upon the land till the ninth hour. And it says that darkness came upon all the land, that speaks of the land of Israel, Okay? Now remember that Jesus had been put on the cross somewhere around 9 a.m. had been hanging for three hours, listening to those surrounding him hurling abuse at him, suffering, and yet something happens at the ninth hour. This is at noon. It says from the sixth hour, excuse me, the sixth hour, which is noon, darkness fell upon the land till the ninth hour. Now, what does this signify? If you study Scripture, you'll know that darkness is often related to judgment for sin judgment for sin now speaking of judgment for sin exodus chapter 10 verses 21 to 23 god sent darkness upon the land of egypt because of pharaoh's sin not allowing the people to go we also see darkness clearly associated with god's future judgment which will be in the day of the lord isaiah 13 it's going to talk about a day of darkness the sun will be dark when it rises, the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughty, of the ruthless. That's Isaiah 13. We see this in Joel chapter 2 in Amos chapter 8 and Zephaniah 1, 14 and 15. And certainly, if you are among those who reject Jesus Christ, when you die, you will experience black darkness forever judgment for your sin in punishment in torment we see this even prepared for false teachers Second Peter and Jude verse 13 speaks of judgment for sin judgment for sin so then also we see in Luke chapter 23 verse 45 the sun was obscured or you could literally translate that the sun ceased stopped its light God the Father was causing the Son to cease giving its light for three hours as his Son, Jesus Christ, was bearing the sin of the world, bearing our sin in his body on the cross, experiencing Father's judgment for our sins, the full cup of his wrath for our sins. You see, Scripture is clear that Jesus Christ bore our sins, uh, that he took on the wrath of the Father for our sins. We see it prophesied in Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely our griefs, in our he, ourself bore in our sorrows he carried. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, but he was pierced through for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening or punishment for our well-being, our shalom, fell on him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray; each has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Remember what John the Baptist said, John one twenty nine. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world." Matthew twenty twenty eight. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. For this is the blood of the covenant, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. What did Paul say? He said in Colossians 2, And when you were dead in your transgressions and sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Peter shares it this way, who committed no sin nor deceit was found in his mouth while being reviled, he did not revile in return first peter two twenty two he uttered while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself for the one to the one who judges righteously to him who judges righteously, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you he were healed so During this period that he hung on the cross, he bore our sins. All of our sin and wickedness was placed on him. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, the wages of sin is death. And if we bear our own sin, uh, after we die, we will die the second death. And we will be eternally separated in punishment forever. But Jesus came to die for our sins. And he, on the cross, bore our sins in his body. And it appeared that evil had its way that day, yet God was sovereign over it, had predetermined that Jesus Christ would willingly come and bear our sins in his body on the cross. And so now notice back in our passage, Jesus fulfills Psalm 22, verse 1, crying out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour, About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Son of God, perfectly holy, God the Son, uh, God uh, eternally uh, separated from the Father because of our sin. Forsaken in that moment, bearing our sin. It's a direct quote of Psalm 22. My God, thy God, why hast thou forsaken me? A holy God has totally forsaken Jesus, the Son of God, who bore our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus was forsaken by the Father, abandoned as he bore our sins. And notice, it's amazing, during this time, that people still don't get it, standing around. They don't get it. Actually, like some continue to mock, by the way. Verse 47, and some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a, taking a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave a drink. But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Now this is kind of a difficult portion to interpret here, but it's during this time of darkness. There's some standing there. They don't get it. It's dark. Something's going on here. They still don't get it. People are blind, by the way. In their sins. And when God convicts you of sin, you better respond. Because he will allow Satan to blind the eyes of the unbelieving. You'll have a hardened heart. You better respond. If you are being convicted of your sin, do not harden your heart. Or you will find yourself in eternal judgment. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So then, uh, they're saying he's calling for Elijah... And that sounds like it when he's speaking Arabic. Eli, Eli, Lama I can understand that is he calling for Elijah. Well, no, he's, that's not what he's, no, he's doing. But they misunderstood. And so, one in this group immediately ran, taking a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put a reed on it, gave him a drink. Now, at this point, the Gospel of John gives us much more detail of what's going on here. I'm going to read this: John nineteen twenty-eight. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, this is after he said, "Why have I been forsaken." Okay? that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was standing there, and they, so they put on a sponge, a sour wine, and a branch of hyssop, and they brought it to his mouth. That's what I believe is happening here. He said, I'm thirsty. Now there are some who misunderstand this and think he's calling for Elijah. So the one person runs up and gives it to him because he said, I'm thirsty. That's a good person, okay? But the rest of them said, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Now, I think the NSB missed this translation. The other translations, if you have them, you'll see it. You could literally translate it here, not let us see, but leave him alone. Don't give him that drink, but let's see if Elijah will save him. You see, they're the mockers, right? That's what's really going on. And at this point, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God had bore our sins in his body, the work was accomplished, it was finished. In verse 50, we see, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. In Luke, we have his words recorded. And now it was the sixth hour, of darkness fell over the whole land, Luke 23 44, until the ninth hour, the sun being obscured or ceased, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And we know from John 19, when he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and received, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave it up. You see, he yielded his spirit. He was in control of his death the entire time. No one took his life from him. He gave it up. For us. You see, Jesus, finishing the work of salvation, gives up his spirit and he dies for us. There's nothing you can do to pay for your sins. Anything you try to do to pay for your sins is an absolute insult and wickedness towards what God has done for us through Jesus. We read in Hebrews earlier that it was his once for all sanctifying act giving his body for us. For by one offering he has perfected, all those are sanctified. We see that their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. We've been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Our problem is sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a tremendous reality that God would not leave us in our sinful state. You know, when someone says, oh, God is so unfair. Look at all this evil around here. How, how do you allow all that? Well, first of all, he's not instantly judging because he's saving. And he's a gracious God who gave his own son to die for our sins. He wouldn't leave us in our sinful state, but he allowed his son to be delivered up crucified, bearing our sin and our judgment, experiencing God's wrath in our place. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And yes, in Easter we celebrate the resurrection, but there was the crucifixion and his death first, and then burying And as we'll see, death could not hold him. In three days he would rise from the dead. So why would God do this? 1 John four ten in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have Been saved. Titus 3. But when the kindness of our God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. God is a gracious God. Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I love you. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Let's not forget what Jesus did for us. Let's not forget. Let's not forget that he paid the full price and let's give him so much more glory and honor and praise every day until we see him. Some of you are still in your sins, but Jesus willingly died for you and bore your sins. Call upon him and he'll save you. He'll save you. And for us, we need to praise him for what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus. Thank you for your love in planning and sending him for us. And thank you that he willingly came to do your will and that he died for us. He bore our sins in his body on the cross and died and rose from the dead. Lord, please keep our hearts soft and sensitive. Keep us focusing on what you have done for us, what he has done for us until he comes again. May we be ready to share the hope that we have because of what you have done through your Son, Jesus, for us. Father, I pray for anyone who is not saved, may they not harden their hearts, may they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. And then, John, let's sing uh, Jesus Paid It All.